Amen. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you. If you have a Bible, you can turn to... Ready? I just wanted to give it a little bit of a run-up. Acts 28. And for those of you who have not been with us over the last year, you might wonder why that was a, bad, a bit of an odd pause. Uh, it's because this is the last sermon in a series in the book of Acts that we started last fall. I stood up at the beginning of September... He said, turn in your Bibles to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Can you believe it? The summer's over and school is already here. And so it is amazing that this morning I open my Bible, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 28, and I say to you, can you believe it? The school here is already over and the summer is here. That is where we are. We have been on a remarkable journey through this book an unfolding story of what takes place when the gospel is preached. By gospel, we mean when people come face to face with who Jesus was, what he did, and who he is for us now, it changes the world. That's what we've seen. The Apostle Paul opened in his, Roman, his letter to the Romans saying that the gospel is the power of God. And what Acts has been from start to finish is basically a live, technocolor, scripted out, action-packed journey showing that verse to be true, that the gospel was power. A huddled mass of 120 folks doubting and despairing their leader had just been crucified publicly and mysteriously and powerfully raised from the dead. He descended and told them, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And because God promised that, acts happened. That's the basic, that's as basic a summary as I can give of what we have read these last nine, ten months together. Because God promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, and because where the Holy Spirit goes with the preaching of the gospel, things change, therefore, Acts. And we are now at the end of this book. I want to give a little bit of a plug for something that we're sending out an email. You might have seen it uh, at this point, we're calling it Text in Context. Um, Brian's helping to edit it. I'm recording just seven or eight minutes of a little short video to help you reflect on the sermon that we just went through. It's not intended to be an, int- an additional teaching, it's very off the cuff. It's before I dive into all the commentaries or try to like put things together. It's, I just want to show you what it looks like to sincerely, with a curiosity, interact with the Bible. That's the goal, just to help you interact with the Bible. And you'll probably notice, because I'm going to begin reading in verse 11 in just a moment, that an episode on Malta, we sort of skipped over it. And if you want some info on that, you can go check out the video that came in an email this last week. Doesn't that just sound like a, sounds like a Batman and next time kind of building of suspense moment? If you have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along. I'm going to read the 11th verse of Acts chapter 28 all the way through the rest of the book. As always, <clears throat> sorry, my voice sounded weird. As always, the goal is not for your connection to the Bible to be solely this moment. Of course, I would love to be winsome, I want to be persuasive, I want to be clear, crisp. I want to present the word of God to you, but more than that, the prayer behind every moment is that we would leave you with a hunger for the Bible. On Thursday, when your heart is broken and you need 
help and you need a promise, I don't want you to be thinking to yourself, oh, there's that amazing Bible verse. Where was it again? Oh, it's on the screen at Midtown. That's where the screen won't help you on Thursday, but God has given us a book. And so as always, as we read, follow along and ask questions, uh, you can be a student of this word and God will meet you there. This is the 11th verse of Acts chapter 28. It's going to be a bunch of details, number of names that I will stumble over. I apologize in advance for that. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. And putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day, we came to Petoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, and for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers, From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And with their eyes, when their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let me pray for us. God, because the gospel is power, it's power to transform, to change, to save, to forgive and cleanse, Because it has power, we long to listen. We want to be not like those who have dim eyes and plugged ears, hardened hearts. We want to hear from you. 
We can't demand that. God, it's tempting to think that we deserve to hear from you, that we somehow can do this because we figured it out. God, this is all grace that you would speak and we would hear. As a father, send your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us to not only hear, but also to walk in obedience to the words that you've given. Thank you, God, for being a speaking God, for revealing yourself to us. I pray that you'd help us now. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to attempt to wrap up the book of Acts a little bit for you. I want to answer questions like, why did we study this book? And what is the point for us here and now? In some ways, this entire story, I already told you, this entire story is basically an unpacking of the concept found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. That's what this looks like. And there's a few things going on here. There is the story of Paul, which is coming to a close and him coming to Rome, at least what we know of him here. And so there are basically three different stories that I want to focus on, this, I want to focus on today. The first is the story that is told. I want to walk from verse 11 down through the end of the book and talk about what's happening with Paul, where is he ending up, and how is this going for him. But more than that, more than just the story that is explicitly told, we know from history and from other places in Scripture that there is more to Paul's story. And there's more to Peter's story. And so I want to talk about the story that is untold. There's the story that is told, but then there's some of the story that is untold. And then finally, we're going to see, and I want this to be the point, really, of the whole book of Acts, I want us to really wrestle with and consider the fact that this is a story that is being told. I'm not sure what the, ling- the English literature language is. Is that a gerund being told? A present tense? That's what we're after. Present tense. This is a story that is being told. So there's the part that is told, then the untold, and it's still being told. That's the idea. I don't know if that helps you. you and write that in your diary. Excuse me, man, your journal. Whatever it is, whatever you need, whenever you need to write it down, if it's helpful, that's good. Let me describe a little bit of what has happened. We know that they stay in Malta, this island that they land on. They shipwreck in Malta, and they stay there for three months. Why? Well, because it was winter. When it's winter, everyone wants to stay inside. In North Dakota, every couple months in the winter, we send a guy out to see if it's okay to leave our houses. When he comes back in and says, no, six more weeks of winter, we stay inside. I might have got that confused with a furry little animal. But it's something like that. And when spring hits, the first day that there's sun, which means the first day gets above freezing, basically, you will see people rollerblading and shorts and tank tops. It's 38 degrees. Let's get outside. It's that kind of thing. They wait around for spring to hit because they traveled in the worst part of the winter. It's why they were shipwrecked. And they have stayed in Malta for three months. They are unhindered in the, in the sense that they were not dissuaded from getting to Rome. They've come this far. And there on the island, they found a ship that got there, not by shipwreck, but on purpose, from Alexandria, which reminds us again that northern North Africa, this area sort of toward the Middle East, this region, was supplying a ton of the food, a ton of the food for Rome. They were a massive, there was a massive export of things to Rome. 
So there's not only one ship from Alexandria, the one that crashed, but another one was already there bringing goods. They jump on board, and they're finally going to make it up to Rome. On the way there, it says that they found brothers. What a great phrase. You ever had that experience? You feel lost, unsettled, maybe in a new place, and you find someone who just clicks. You just see what they see. You feel what they feel. It's one of the reasons that Jesus is a gift. People from all backgrounds, socioeconomic status, histories, can find one another, and they are brothers. And not only are they brothers, but they apparently knew about Paul. They heard about him coming. They welcomed him with a kind of hospitality that was a balm to his soul. These brothers, it says, came out so far as this forum and three taverns. Great, great, na- great names for things. Some people think that this is up to 40 miles away from where their destination would have been. 40 miles for us is like, let's just, let's just head on up to sweet grass. No big deal. Thomasville cool little getaway. 40 miles is a haul when you can't jump in the, what car should I give you? PT Cruiser and get on up there, right? That's a long way, 40 miles. These brothers are excited. They are are speaking life to Paul. And there's something that happens in in, in here, a couple of, uh, I think, ironies of the moment. Paul has committed to getting to Rome. He wants to preach the gospel there. He wants to see the church take hold there. In some ways, he probably felt like maybe the whole mission was on him. And there's a sense in, in the midst of all the shipwreck and the difficulty and the trials and the travails, he shows up, he gets finally to Italy, he's on his way into Rome, and it's as if God says to him, like, I got this. The church is already there. No one knows how the church got to Rome. There's no record of the church planting that happened. Some people think that Pentecost, do you remember that? It's where our book started all the way back at the beginning of Acts. Many of you maybe aren't aware of some of the dynamics of Pentecost. You haven't gone to too many raging Pentecost parties lately. Anyone? Been there? No? One of the, one of the things about Pentecost is that people would come from hundreds of miles around. It was, a, it was a melting pot of diversity. I think it's one of the reasons that the sign gift of tongues was given, languages, because there were people from everywhere that came to Pentecost. And some people think there must have been Jewish people from Rome who came and were there, had received the Holy Spirit, had gone back, and all this time that Paul and the rest of the apostles and the early church are encountering encountering travails and planting the church, God had been working, and he gets to Italy, he gets toward Rome, and he finds brothers there. This is good for us to know, because honestly, the work of God, the mission of God, it's way bigger than anything we can handle. Here's the good news. We be steadfast and we be faithful, And God says, I got this. He is working in ways that we absolutely have no idea about. In the last two months, we are praying for the lost and strategizing and thinking like, how are we going to market ourselves and how do we preach to more people? And then two months ago, a girl moves to Tallahassee, says to herself, I want to get to a church and I need to know who Jesus is. And she rides her bike seven miles to join us for worship at Midtown. And God has a plan for her to transform her heart, to forgive her sins, and to make her brand new. And all of this takes place. We're stressing and we're praying and we're strategizing. We're saying, God, how can we reach Midtown? How can we reach Tallahassee? And God says, I got this. 
We should never, despite all of our work and our efforts, we should never, ever, ever, ever pretend that if something good happens, it's because we figured it out. We love, we love, love, love to take credit for things that God is doing behind the scenes. Paul shows up and he thanks God for these brothers. Have you ever been in that spot before where the way that God loved you and sustained you was through a friend, was through a brother and sister in Christ? Can you name the faces right now? Has the grace of God ever put on a face for you? A time in your life you needed someone to say, stop it. A time in your life you needed someone to say to you, start it. One of the reasons we press you to relationships with one another, I start nearly every worship service by saying, I need you and you need each other. Because it's true, God will sustain you in your faith. He will. Paul says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it about to completion. Will bring it to completion. Yes, he will. The question is how, and oftentimes he does it through the gracious connections of one another. You need the body of Christ. Paul shows up. He's a weary, wandering apostle. He finds brothers. And he says, God, thank you for loving me through them. This is the grace of God to him. You need this, whether you know it or not. Right now, it might be fine. You think to yourself, like, yeah, an hour of Sunday is fine. I mean, it's good, good by me. It's all I can stand these people. I want you to think long and hard about this particular fact, that there is a storm in your life coming, and right now, God is arranging the relationships and the circumstances that will be his grace to you when those times come. Never, ever, 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 ever neglect or disdain the relationships God gives us in the church. Paul knew that. He shows up, God says, I got this, and he thanks God for them. An interesting thing happens as well with Paul in his life. This is all part of a story that is told. It's explicit about him. He gets to take up sort of residence in kind of a house arrest situation. I love the end of verse 16. This idea that a soldier guarded him. And the way this would have worked is he probably would have been chained to Paul. That's how it worked. You ever had a really bad babysitting gig? You know what I mean? Some of you guys are like, every babysitting gig is a bad one for me. It's tough. There was a certain point uh, when I was really excited. I want to know what it was like to to have kids. And I wanted to bless this uh, family, this couple. And they had three little ones. And so Sarah and I said, hey, why don't you guys leave? Go out and have this great day. We're going to hang out with the children. And then I, I basically was comatose and catatonic through the whole three hours. <laughs> like, and at the end of it, Sarah was like, I think you need to be careful the next time you offer out our babysitting. Because she was awesome and just great and killing it and mimes and puppets and crafts. And I was just like, wow, like children, right? Can you imagine being the soldier the day the centurion says to him, okay, I have a job for you. Oh, what is it? Am I on the post? Am I in the tower? I get to go get the bad guys? No, remember that really annoying Jewish guy who talks about Jesus all the time? Chain yourself to him all day long. All day long. This is inviting solicitors door to door into your home and saying, why don't you just stay here? And I know I didn't want to name who they are, but you've been there, right? This soldier in God's providence heard, probably heard more gospel preaching than maybe anyone else. Certainly in these, couple of, these short couple of years. Can you imagine being that guard? And over the course of time, Paul's even writing letters to the churches. He has an amanuensis. It's like a fancy word to say someone who would have been his helper and writer. Hearing Paul. Yes, yes, yes. Tell them 
Therefore, there is no longer condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer condemnation. Soldier just hanging out. It's an amazing circumstance. But we know that for two years, it says at the end of this chapter, two years he stayed in this kind of house arrest arrangement. He paid for his own expenses. He had people coming and going to visit him. That's a long time, two years. Two years before he could get an audience with Caesar. Two years in house arrest. And I've often wondered about this particular part of the story. If I were a strategist, right? If I called up a consultant for the, for the mission. Maybe if some of you have been strategy geniuses, you like helped out with your kid's soccer team. You're like came up with that cool thing where the two kids run one way and the other kid runs the other way and they all end up in a clump anyway. That was your, that was your strategy. If you were a strategist, a consultant, and you drop down into this part of the, part of the story, you're working with God. You're going to help him out because he wants to get his mission to the ends of the earth. You say, okay, I see the landscape here. Yeah, Rome makes sense. That's good. Bring him there. Oh, who do we have? We have Paul. Now, Paul, if this was like an athlete kind of thing in baseball, he would be like a five-tool player. That's what they say. Like the best prospects, five-tool players. Speed, power, can throw, fielding. He just does it all. So we're looking. We're saying like we want to get to Rome. We got Paul. He's unbelievably trained religiously. He's savvy and winsome with the culture. Oh, his backstory is amazing. This guy murdered people. God saved him. Seriously. Make a banner, stoner, saved, right? Sell some books. This guy, is, he has it all. And here's what we're going to do. Here's the strategy. Put him in a room and lock him up for two years. Seems like a failed strategy. Anyone else think that? Anyone else feel like we could legitimately say to God, um, God, remember that thing about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth and now your star player, you put him in prison for two years. We know, of course, that Paul made the best of his time. The rest of Acts chapter 28 says after three days, he calls together the local leaders of the Jews. I don't think this is hugely explicit, but I think it's been all the way through. Starting at about Acts chapter 19, if you go back and look, I think, I was going to say Luke after that, so it sounded like Luke. That's the Canadian way to say Luke. If you go back and, and check it out, you'll see that Luke has begun to sort of weave together these stories of Jesus and Paul. He's told two stories, one a gospel, and now about the apostles You know, Paul, in his own words, said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And like Jesus, he set his face toward Rome, like Jerusalem. He had a mission from God. He encountered much persecution. And there's been these moments where it seems like little wording Luke is sort of trying to pull at. Even some of the ways that he he prayed. It says that he took bread and broke it when he was on the ship. Last week we saw that. And in many of these ways, I think Luke is calling to mind that Paul is in the same sort of vein. He's walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So after three days, Jesus is in the grave for three days. After three days, I'm not sure it was that amount of time. We could be completely reading into this, but this is only one of numerous instances. He calls together the local leaders of the Jews. He doesn't want to waste his time. He's going to preach to the Roman guard because they're there. But he also says, bring together my people. He's gracious with them. 
If you had encountered the kind of betrayal that Paul did from your own people, is it anything but the Spirit of God that would allow you to say something like, brothers, brothers, I've done nothing against our people. I think I might have been like, you people, you, you people are trying to kill me. I'm so glad I'm not one of you because I used to be one of you This us and they thing is not for Paul. He says, these are my brothers. These are my kinsmen. At one point he says, I myself would maybe even rather be a curse than to lose my brothers. And so he calls the Jewish leaders to himself. And once again, he begins to preach the gospel. One of the ways that we know, one of the ways that we know that we should never faint and grow weary in doing good is because God, God shines when circumstances are terrible. He loves that. God loves to shine through the darkness of terrible circumstances. I mean, things might be bad, but have we ever said this about Christianity? We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Paul calls the leaders together. They say to him, oh no, we've never heard of you. No, you're fine. We never heard of you and what you're doing. But you know what we did here? This following the way thing, this who Jesus is thing, everywhere we go, people disparage it and talk against it and speak in opposition to what you're saying. So we'll listen to you, but this stuff is crazy. The next time you're tempted to think to yourself, yeah, but they didn't have a Supreme Court like ours. And they didn't really have like the cultural stigma that we have to live through. Everywhere it was spoken against and God still moves the church and the mission of the gospel forward, even through the midst of this. For two years, Paul consistently, it says, expounded the scriptures. He testified to the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. A good reminder to us, the best preaching of the Bible did not have the New Testament. It did not have the full clarity of who Jesus was. We have an amazing gift in the second testament of our Bibles. But there is enough there. He preaches from Moses and from the prophets And he's discouraged because if you are a Jewish leader and for two years you hear from morning till evening preaching of the Apostle Paul, the best theological mind probably that the church has ever produced, moved by the Holy Spirit, and you are still not convinced then there is something more than an intellectual disagreement going on. And that's what Paul says. He says, brothers, there is more going on here than just an intellectual disagreement. You are spiritually blinded. You don't have ears to hear. Your hearts have been hardened. Because if you would see and if you would hear, then God would heal you. He sees a parallel here in quoting Isaiah. Isaiah was given a real bummer of a task. You know that? You ever been given a job at work that you just know is destined to fail? Thanks for this job. This is the worst is the worst thing ever. Isaiah was given a task a little bit like that. God said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go spend your whole life preaching to these people to repent. And guess what? They won't listen to you. They will not repent. That's what he says. And Paul begins to see a parallel between himself and Isaiah and between the Jewish people then and the Jewish people in Isaiah's day. And there is something going on. It's a reminder to us that God is sovereign. And unless he send his spirit, we are dead in our sins. 
Unless he send his spirit, we are dead in our sins. The next time you want to talk to a friend, or even talk to your own soul about Jesus, be reminded that you are utterly dependent on the spirit of God to make that real to you and alive to you. This is foolishness to the world. That's what Paul's dealing with. And somewhere there in verse 28, I think most of us probably fit into one little verse in the Bible. You know what the promise of God is through Paul here? The Gentiles will listen. Are you one who listened? Are you a listener? Are you a listener to the gospel? What an amazing gift this is to listen. This promise, Paul is in prison in Rome, probably 59 or 60 AD. He's there and he says to these leaders, I want you to know God is not done with this world. He has redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And there will come a day when everyone everywhere, they will listen, even in the panhandle. I know you guys think it's God-forsaken land, but yes, they will listen, even them. Even them. This is an amazing story. Now, the thing that's interesting about the end of Acts chapter 28, we find out he lives two years. He welcomes all with hospitality. He proclaims and he teaches. He does it without hindrance. This idea without hindrance, this fact that it just kind of keeps on trucking. The Duracell battery. Is that the one? Is that the one? They did a good job with the bunny. When I was a kid, there was a bunny. Is there still a bunny? It's the wrong one. (laughs) Energizer guy. Punch me in the head. So... There's still a bunny, still going, cannot be stopped. That's where this idea of unconquered came from, from our series. It's not the church, it's not any one person. Paul's imprisoned, he can't do anything. But you know what will not be stopped is the truth of the message of Jesus. And it goes on unhindered. But here's the thing that's interesting. This is all that's explicitly told about Paul. It's kind of a bummer ending, right? I mean, if you were in lit class, your professor would send this back and say... Uh, you didn't really close any of the storylines of the major characters. In fact, I've been saying this for chapters now, but way back there in 13, you left Peter, and we don't even know what happened to him. What about the rest of the apostles? Uh, Okay, fine, you introduced us to Saul in chapter 9, and we love him now. We like him. We're all in on his life. You're telling me he's in prison? You're just going to end the book there? Some of you are into TV shows and you might even talk, go to talk forums and like try to figure it out. What are the character storylines? You know what this is like? This is worse than the end of Lost. That's what it's like. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. You got all invested. You're so pumped. You get to the end and you're like, what? That didn't close anything for me. And more than that, there's these major characters whose story, their thread doesn't even get... And this is a little bit nerd time out. If you've never watched the show Lost, I'm sorry. But right, you're thinking to yourself, like, Walt? I mean, what happened with Walt, for real? He's like a magic boy who calls and kills birds, and we don't know what happened to him. It's just the story just has, like, no ending to it. It just sort of falls. And so, this is what's explicitly told... But we know from history and elsewhere that there's more to this story. There's the story that's untold. And I wanted to show you a couple of things that give us confidence to know that this is not where the end of the story was. He's in prison for two years. And then history tells us that he was actually, he got a hearing before Caesar. And Paul's exonerated and he actually continued his mission for a while. Records show that he probably went to Ephesus again. Met up with that church. Remember the scene at the, on the beach? When he's like with the, the elders and he's crying, they're sobbing. It's like a Hallmark movie. Remember that? 
Apparently he gets out and he's able to go see them again. Many people think he probably went to Spain and did ministry there. He said, I want to get to Spain. And for a few years, he's out and he's continuing his mission until things go really crazy in the empire. And the guy who, who ends up ending it all, Nero, who goes certifiably insane, burns a ton of Rome, blames it on the Christians, and records show that the Apostle Paul was most likely executed sometime in the middle of the year 64 AD. He was a Roman citizen, so he was not crucified. He would have been decapitated. And more than him, the story of Peter, we find out that all the apostles, there's record of their martyrdom, of them, of them dying. So we get a little bit of closure on what they did. And we also figure out the story that's untold or sort of inferred and not explicit is that this time was not useless. It was very, very meaningful. Had Paul not been in prison, we would not have, oh, I don't know, the book of Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, Philemon. It's as if God paused Paul's life He's kind of a type A personality. You know people like that? You like stumble down for coffee at 6.45 in the morning. They're like, well, it was great to run seven miles and finish my taxes. I went into work and just came back, picked up some groceries for you. You're thinking to yourself like, how early do you get up? Paul was one of these kind of people and it's it's like God just paused him and put him in this place for two years. The Holy Spirit moved and he wrote scripture for us so that we knew who Jesus was. You can imagine him just working through everything that God was and penning the soaring, soaring lines in Colossians that in him and through him are all things. I think sometimes when we read scripture, we forget the context. It's like it just came out of the ether somewhere and just dropped down like golden tablets, right? This is a real man imprisoned. And when he writes in Ephesians, it's for this reason that I bow my knees before the Father. You know why he wrote that? Probably because for days he's thinking about the Ephesians. And you know what he's doing? He's bowing his knees before the Father. And he calls someone over and he says, you know, I want to write to them. I love them. I esteem them in the Lord. I want to write to them. This imprisonment was not in vain. We get a bunch of scripture from this particular period. We also know that Paul was at least somewhat fruitful in his ministry there. This is Philippians chapter 1. And again, as you read these other books of the Bible, think about the book of Acts can give you light on these things. He says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He is imprisoned, and he uses the word advance. It has advanced the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. One commentator said this, that in his prison experience, Paul's perspective was adjusted, his horizon was extended, his vision was clarified, and his witness was enriched. There was a purpose to the pause in his life in Rome. These are some of the things that we infer. It's the story that's untold, but we can put the pieces together. We already looked at what was explicitly told. But as we wrap up this book, as we wrap up these 10 months, we might be asking the question, 
What is this for? What is this for? And let me tell you what I think needs to be a settled conviction in all of us. We need to understand that I think one of the reasons that this story ends so horribly, in other words, the threads, and it's not all put together in a nice bow, is because this story is still being written. And at a certain point, the way that you know and understand the purpose of the church is when you begin to see that you are being written into this story. That one day, way in the horizon of our connection with God, there is a chapter of the church written, Midtown Tallahassee, start of the 2000s. Terrible music was the hit of the day, but the gospel of Jesus Christ went forward, right? Is that a mean hit on music? We can talk about that later. Your chapter is being written. Our mission is the same as Paul and the apostles had, Significantly less miracles. We don't have the exact foundational kind of ministry that they had. But the Holy Spirit is the same. The need of the lost is the same. And we have a task before us to see Jesus worshipped in all of the earth. And until we get to the point, until you personally get to the point where you see that your story is still being written just like this, then you've missed the whole point of Acts. I don't want to go through and just have a great intellectual exercise. I like this stuff too. You might be one of those people who's like, oh, that's just so cool. I never saw the connections between 2 Timothy. That's the last book that Paul wrote. That's amazing. That was one that he wrote. That's nice. All those things are great. But if you walk away from it at that and just say, let's go to Sonny's and this doesn't have any claim on us, then you missed it. Acts is crying out for us to complete the mission, to be a part of what God is doing. Now, in some ways, that is a daunting task. And it's never been more clear how difficult this is. There are organizations like Joshua Project. You can go to joshuaproject.net. They have a little app, and every day it reminds you on your phone for 10 seconds, here's an unreached people group. Hey, remember, there's 2.7 million Hindus in one small region that don't know Jesus, there are some 6,000, at least the ones we know about, some 6,000 unreached people groups. That means that there is not a tenable, ongoing gospel presence in their community. Many of them without even the language of Scripture. And when we think about this, never before in history have we had so much information about the lost, known where they live, we know their needs, and we know how many of them there are. There are billions. And so the task seems unbelievably daunting. In some ways, it seems more difficult. But I want to encourage you that in other ways, the task has never been easier. The task has never been easier. Do you know that in the last century, and I say this hopefully to encourage you, Because when you watch the news or just listen to the world, you might think that everything is just, is this a phrase, going to hell in a handbasket? Is that an actual phrase? If that's rude, I apologize for that. I don't know why I thought of that phrase. Do you know that in the last century, so Jesus comes, there's 19 centuries. If you added up all of the missionary activity, every missionary endeavor, endeavor for those 19 centuries and put it up next to The missionary activity from the 20th century alone, it is less. The 1900s saw more activity and more sending and more praying and more money to the nations than any other century in the history of the church. On nearly every continent, save Europe. We're working on them. That's why we're sending the youngs. They're going over there. 
every continent, there has been an increase and a very encouraging explosion of Christianity in very real ways. Mission is going forward, and the Holy Spirit is the same, and God is moving, and he is working. In some ways, yes, the task is more clear and more daunting than ever, but in some ways it is more easy. We have tools of technology that are unthinkable in the rest of the history of the church. You know that Pastor Scott, when he talks to our missionaries, he just like pulls up Skype and talks to them? This is amazing. Paul would write in his letters, I long to see you face to face. Our missionaries can get from one side of the earth to another in unbelievably fast time. Travel has never been easier. You ever watch that show Amazing Race? You seen that one? That's an aptly named show. It's amazing. It really is. If I gave you unlimited resources starting right now and I gave you 24 hours, where could you get? I mean, where could you get in 24 hours? Our world is an astounding place. So in some ways, the task has never been easier. We have Bible translation tools, and we have the interwebs. This is an unbelievable tool. And the biggest encouragement, and the only thing that gives me any hope whatsoever, is this. Some ways more daunting, some ways easier, but in all ways the same God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who ordained and helped Paul through a shipwreck is here with us. He's desiring our good. He has said, I will build my church. I will call the lost to myself. The gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. There's no new strategy, new technique, new thing that we need to get to. We have all we need in Jesus Christ. And God has never been more committed to redeem a people through him than he is right now now. I would say the last 10 months, even before that, in June, I sat down and started writing for Acts. I think it's probably the, I didn't know to get emotional, it's weird. It's probably the, like, the most enriching, like, single Bible study thing that I've done, maybe my whole life. But you know, at the end of that, like, I know more nerdy things about this. Oh, the forum, we're 40 miles from Rome, imagine that. Alexandria supplied a lot of the wheat for the Roman Empire. But I read these pages, and you know what I want? I see God moving here, and I, want, I say to him, God, move now. Move now. And unless we get to that place, unless we see our story being written, unless we're crying out and saying, God, move now, save the lost, we missed it. We totally missed it. We missed it. We had a nice little study. But it's not what God desires for his church. There's so much more. Let me pray for you. God, would you save the lost? Would you open eyes and open ears? Help us to not be comfortable and just go through the motions.